Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Data-Driven Real Estate Podcast. Today, we've got Tarl Yarber. He is the CEO of Fixated Real Estate, LLC. It's a Pacific Northwest investment company with over $50 million in single-family residential properties purchased, rehabbed, and resold over the last seven years. He is also the founder of PNW Big Badass Real Estate Expo, which is happening in September, which you won't want to miss and we'll talk about later. But this week, we really talk about scaling operations. So the data on the operation side, not as much on the acquisition. We talk about technology technology that Tarl and his, his very small team has employed and how focusing on the data increased profitability, simplified life, but also helped him focus in on a buy box where he was able to get more tightly focused in a very much, uh, a much smaller geographical area. Won't want to miss this week on the podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Data Driven Real Estate Podcast, the podcast for real estate professionals dedicated to driving business success using data. My, I'm co-host Aaron Norris. With us was Sean O'Toole with Property Radar and Tarl Yarber. Welcome, Tarl. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, awesome. We, uh, are guys, are we, uh, <laughs> we met at uh, the San, San Francisco or the Bay Area Real Estate uh, Summit, and I got to listen to you talk. And, um, you know, I thought it was a great talk and, and, uh, you know, just led me to a lot of questions and stuff that I thought would be great for the, the data-driven, uh, uh, real estate podcast that we do here. So thank you for uh, joining us. Are you sure it was my talk or my eyes or the yeah. tone of my voice that intrigued you the most or? Yeah. Yeah. No, I was, I was looking deeply into your eyes. No yeah, question. I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> I know you, I know you talked with my acquisition guy, Nate, for a little while. So he, he liked hanging out with you and talking to you. So. I don't know if Nate had anything to do with you liking us also, but who knows? That was mostly your wife. <laughs> oh yeah. I don't, I don't blame you there. Right. Yeah. She's awesome too. Yeah. No, you got a great team. And uh, I think Serena is, uh, was with you guys too. And yeah. yeah. So I, I don't know how much of that your total team that was, but uh, everybody I met, I liked a lot. Very cool. Glad to hear. Yeah. I'll let them know. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you again for, uh, for joining us and, and um you know, so that talk was on creating processes and procedures, right? And uh, I know you did another one um, in the Bay Area, simplifying and scaling um, your business. And, uh, you know, just it occurred to me, we hadn't launched the Days Driven Real Estate podcast yet, but I was, was thinking about it at the time. And we're very focused on the acquisition side of Data Driven here at Property Radar, um, and it occurred to me that you were very focused on the data-driven side of the operations and building and scaling. And, you know, that's an important part of this too. And I thought you'd be a great person to speak to that because I was pretty impressed with what you had to say and the kinds of things you were doing in your business. Thank you. Um, so we can, you know, I, we could jump into this a number of different ways and, uh, you know, but let's first tell us just a little bit about uh, fixated real estate and uh how long you've been doing this and and uh yeah sure so fixated real estate officially became a business in 2014 um although i got started in real estate in 2005 uh, i bought a seminar on how to wholesale real estate from a sellathon uh, and basically there's 40,000 people in la at the time and donald trump was a keynote and so was uh, robert kiyosaki and all those guys i'm like ah, i gotta go and i was like 20 years old so went there, had no idea what Celton was, bought a seminar on wholesaling real estate, assignment contracts. Uh, did that for about six straight months, pretty hardcore. Uh, made a hundred grand on one transaction and wow. then quit because I hated every minute of it uh, <laughs> and didn't get back into it till 2011. 
uh, through a series of events. And if you guys go to Bigger Pockets um, and listen to episode 189 of their podcast, uh, I tell the whole story there. Not enough time to get into this, but ultimately at the end of the day, between 2011 uh, and now, uh, we've done a little over 600 fix and flips, uh, probably about 640, 650, something like that, uh, single family homes. And it's it's been interesting. Fixated Real Estate then got started in 2014 because between 2011 and 2014, I had a partnership that we did a ton of stuff nationwide. Uh, and then 2014, past that, we've been mostly in the Puget Sound area, Seattle, uh, Tacoma Market, and Portland uh, over here in our neck of the woods, the Pacific Northwest. Uh, prior to that, we were in about seven states. And then we consolidated when we got to Fixated Only. So. That's, That's funny. When I, when I first started flipping, I had a, it was not, wasn't national, but I had a two hour rule. And then like the more deals I did, the like closer that diagram got, like, is this okay? I don't want to deal with this stuff so far away. <laughs> it's, there's a lot of stories. What happened between 2011 and 2014 that led to me starting my own business and leaving the partnership. But there's reasons why we we're in other States and it's a lot to get into, but I never want to go back to that again. <laughs> so let's just put it that way. Yeah. Nice to be local. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, good, good. Um, and so, uh, and you mentioned 650 fix and flips. So just uh, fix and flips, do you do you hold rentals and stuff as well? So yes, now. So between, so get this. So at the end of 2017, uh, we were 500 something properties or whatever. And uh, I had zero rentals. So we just flipped. That's it. And yeah. I had that mentality stuck in my head that like, I make 60 grand when I sell this thing right now as a flip, or I can make $300 a month cash flow on it. Why the hell would I keep it? So the, but I didn't really understand anything else. Like it was just transactional base. Um, I know this is not part of this podcast, but I had a uh, wealth mentality issue because I was really focused on not being broke and making income versus building any wealth. I didn't really understand the difference uh, internally because yeah. I grew up super broke. And so it kind of a whole bunch of stuff came to a head at the end of 2017 that woke me up to realize I need to start keeping these properties, plus also start changing my lifestyle. So that way we can travel, have a lot more fun. My wife and I could be together all the time. And we still, we actually scaled back and systemized the hell out of our business at the end of 2017 so that we can travel anytime. I could run my entire business from my phone. Uh, and then we started keeping properties. Uh, we only get about 22 single families now that are rentals that are ours, but they're all for full properties by rehab, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. So they all got high equity. We have very little into them, if at anything at all, uh, very low loan to values and they all cash flow. So those are the ones we keep, which is they're essentially flips that we decided to keep. Right. So that's, that's yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. That is a, such a hard thing for uh, flippers. And you know, you hear that from every flipper, right? Like it's okay. I get all this income now or this little tiny bit of income, but yeah, it's, it's a tough transition. So congratulations for making it happen. Yeah. You pay less taxes too. So <laughs> that's the other part. <laughs> yeah. True story. My, uh, my father was the same way. He was a flipper for many years. And I think he started very late in his career because he ran into some old timers and you might have run into some of the old timers that they basically make fun of you if you flip. <laughs> right. So it's, I didn't, I did not feel like a real investor until 2019, we did our first 1031 exchange. And <laughs> the, and when we did that, I'm like, I get it. Like, I actually understand why people do this. Like, this makes a lot of sense. Why? Because I never understood why somebody would buy a five cap or something like that on a property. I'm like, why would anybody do a four or five cap? And in our area in Seattle, that's like super normal for commercial property uh, and multifamily. 
I'm like, why would anybody do that? I get like a 50,000 cap like over here doing single family birds or whatever, right? And uh, the and so we did a 1031 into a commercial building that was like a five cap, but because of how much you rolled into it and how it all worked, I'm like, this all makes sense now. I get it. So, but that was the first time I felt like a grown up. Where are you sourcing uh, all your deals currently? Good question. So we we do most of our deal sourcing through networking with people that work with companies like yours. Uh, and they go out there and do all the acquisitions and so forth. And we spend a lot of time uh, getting really good at our disposition. And when we actually buy the properties, raising capital. Uh, and we do we actually have a lot of experience teaching people how to source deals. But that the main reason why we do that and teach them how to use your guys' company and other companies like yours uh, is so that we can get those deals from them and be the kind of like the main source that people want to send deals to. So, and then we'll just pay assignment fees, wholesalers. Uh, we don't pay nowadays. We don't buy a lot of properties on market in our neck of the woods because there's far too much competition. Uh, even then in the King and Pierce County markets in Seattle, it's off markets becoming almost more competitive than on market. So really? uh, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting right now. So to say the least, but that's where we get most of our deals. Yeah, certainly a lot of a lot of people uh, out there looking for uh, for deals. No questions. We want to drive dive in though, though to the you know kind of how you use data on the operational side and and how you got to the point where you can do kind of the quantity of deals that you're doing. And um, you know I, you have a fairly small team too, right? Doing all these deals. Yeah, it's a very small team, and we have officially, if you the core team is me, and my wife. Uh, Serena and Nate. That's it. And four people. the four people now, like, and the, we've had a revolving door on other positions and like project managers, that sort of stuff. Uh, and we've just basically systemized our business to not need those type of people anymore. Uh, and it also re redefined our buy box to where we don't need, like when you do a $300,000 remodel, it's different than a hundred thousand dollar remodel here. So uh, we just eliminated certain, some of those headaches so that we could have more streamlined processes uh, and then everybody else is independent contractors. They're, you know, hopefully they're not listening here, but they're all expendable. And the, so they better get to work. Uh, and they, so it's, but it's part of scalability. Uh, one of the challenges I think most people, especially when they're newer to investing or even when they're not, when they're a mid-level investor, they think scaling means only up. And so scaling also means down too. So, and how quickly can you scale up and down when you need to? And that's something we decided at the end of 2017, going into 2018, we wanted to have a business we can scale up and down like on a moment's notice and just so we can have a better lifestyle too and also less stress. And in case we wanted to shift our investment strategies or personnel, we didn't have this huge overhead and we wanted to have less, basically less stress and more free time in our life. Uh, and that's what we did. That probably served you really well here a few months ago with uh, COVID. Oh yeah. It was so, for us, it was like nothing changed. <laughs> so to be honest with you, <laughs> yeah, we're like, oh, well, whatever. That's, I just didn't maybe buy that month or whatever. And we did have, you know, not to get into that too much, but we did have about like a two week process uh, when we had the lockdown up here that all of our private investors that we basically raised capital through were like, can we not buy anything for a little bit to see what happens? And I'm like, no, we got to buy this one. But uh, the, <laughs> that, that was about two weeks where we're like, okay, well, you know, everybody wants to chill for a second. And, but we were, it, it was okay for us. It didn't change anything. Yeah, that ability to scale is good. So what, a, you know, there's so many pieces here to, you know, scaling a business and, and getting it. What things did you focus on when you decided to kind of head that direction 
and make your business more scalable? Is there a process you took or, you know, give us some, give us some thoughts about the process you went through to do that. So I I love the name of your podcast, data, data, data driven real estate, right? Did I say that right? Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. Good. (laughs) Uh, The, but the, even though we don't do a lot of data on the acquisition side, as far as like, you know, marketing and, you know, scrubbing lists down to where they need to be, like, and just getting like that, that one unique buyer that you're looking at, seller that you're looking for. Um, we collect a ton of data on our activity. So pretty much I can tell you since I started getting hardcore on it in, in 2014, really hardcore. But prior to that, like I can tell you any property right now and should not tell you, show you any property I've done and over the last few years. And so any of them. And so you want to see like the pictures we took beforehand, I got them. You want to see the pictures we took while it's partway through the rehab, we got them, right? And they're all organized. You want to see the invoice we paid. You want to see the the contract, the six bids we got, we have them, right? So it's, we have everything. It's all stored, it's all organized and it's all there. So, and we also use um, Asana, A-S-A-N-A, to do our communication and project management between the team. So we document processes in there too. We document inside our uh, Dropbox, we use Smartsheet, but we've, so backing up to where we became so systemized is that we already had all this data and we were constantly looking at what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? Where do we waste our time, right? Where do we not waste our time? Where do we get the most reward? Where are we not? And we were finding all these processes. Where do we need people? Where don't we, right? What can we eliminate? What causes us the biggest headaches? What doesn't? And, but that took going through a ton of headaches and a lot of stuff to realize what we don't want. Yeah. But what I find a lot of people in, in, in my part with especially house flippers, uh, they don't collect any of that data. Like they don't, they don't track their properties. If I say, uh, Hey, show, you know, how many properties have you done? Oh, I've done 20. Great. Like what is, what did the eighth one look like? I don't remember. Right. So they, or, you know, do you even have a photo of it? No. Right. It's just, they don't have any data on it. They have no idea how they got where they're going. Uh, so the, we would, so we've always done that. And because of that, we were able to go through it, especially at the end of 2017 and go like, okay, what, let's just take a single family home, right? We buy a flip. Where do we have the biggest stress? What create, what's that, what's that one thing that makes the rest of the project a pain in the ass if we don't do it right. And the, and get all the change orders and all the issues and create all the timeline issues, everything for the project. And for you us, see that it, like in a sauna with like the number of messages going back and forth yeah, and that kind of stuff. You can see it through there. You can see it through the timelines that we have. Like we've done the whole Gantt chart stuff, but like we just don't use them anymore. But the uh, you can see it through our photo histories because we store everything in Dropbox. And I, I would use Google Drive going back in time, but we're too too integrated in Dropbox. But <laughs> uh, the but you can see just from like the way the the way we organize our photos in there. You can even what before even if we weren't documenting it thoroughly in a sauna. Uh, we used Basecamp a lot too prior to that. Uh, the uh, you can see that like okay, well the countertops took us three weeks to get in. Why, right? Because it's the way it's documented in the photos. Um, or you can see that on the schedule that was in Basecamp and or Asana, depending on what when we were doing the changes. So you can see all those things. But when we would when we would also figure out just from the pain and hassles and stuff like that of dealing with contractors, dealing with the change orders that would come up, and dealing with the costs associated with those changes, the holding costs, we'd have all of that documented. We'd know how much per day we were spending on all our holding costs. Like it's, and it would be, a, it, it, we had it all ch- charted out. Uh, but going back in time, sorry, going back on the story, we found that like, if you take a traditional single family home after analyzing all this stuff, if we would just spend more time on the planning phase. 
So we buy the property and we plan it, or we know we're going to buy it and we plan it. And we just figure out before we demo it, before we trash anything out, before we get a contractor on site, before anything, what do we need to do on this project or have done on this project? So we know everything we're going to do on the project and we can start mapping it out correctly. So that way we could skip all the issues later down the line. Whereas most people in my industry, they just buy a house and they just go, they trash it out, they demo stuff. And all of a sudden they shouldn't have demoed something or like something got missed and there's a change order and there's something hidden. And there's like, it just goes on and on and on. And they have all this chaos. And so we said, screw that. We'll know everything about the property before we even touch it. Right. Uh, even floor plans, like it, even if we don't change the floor plan, we still make a floor plan. Like it's all in there. So we can oh. just deal with it fast. Uh, and that saved us so many headaches when we just spend that extra week. Right. It's that whole sharpen the axe mentality kind of thing. That extra week or two weeks or three weeks or four weeks, right? Before we even touched it. The other part of the data we found too, when we because we tracked it, out of all the contractors we had the biggest issues with all the time, it was always our electrician and our plumber, no matter what. Like, period. And and if you're in this business, you're always trying to save as much money as possible on construction and rehab um, as a, a house flipper. And a lot of house flippers say there's no good contractors. I'm like, well, no, there's a lot of great contractors. You just won't pay for them. And the, cause you want the cheaper <laughs> guy, uh, the, but what we found is that those two subs, we'd have a GC for everything else, but we'd sub out the, the plumbing and electrician. Those two subs caused the biggest issues for us all the time. And the longest delays, the most change orders, the longest cost, they'd piss off everybody. And it's because we always went for the, for lack of a better word, more, the cheaper, subs of the plumbers and electricians. And yeah. so we go, well, if we just, based on that data, we saw that we can track it. We had the communications. We saw the, the schedule getting pushed out. We saw the GCs leaving the jobs because the plumber pissed them off. And like, we saw all that and we go, well, that plumber cost us five grand for the job for his bid. Right. But in reality, he cost us eight grand or nine grand because extra holding costs and change orders and this and pissed off the GC like, or whatever, or the electrician too. So what if we just paid seven grand to a good, better plumber that showed up on time, did their stuff and got out. And we did that with that same thing with the electrician. We paid a little bit more for both. We found the right ones and it saved us way more money because we would have, because now, because we had that data to see, those are the two subs screwing everything up, right? Uh, so pay more and it actually saved us more, uh, way more over the long run. And that changed our entire, it was so weird, but those two things from 2018, 2019, changed our entire construction business big time just from those two subs and just knowing that data to know that that was causing an issue. That was long. That was a long winded story, but I just kept going. Sorry. No, uh, no, it's a great example. Yeah. I found that true in a lot of things, right? Like, uh, even attorneys, like, uh, my, my favorite attorney is ridiculously expensive. He's four times what everybody else charges and he finishes everything in one tenth the time and saves me so much money. Exactly. Like our, our electrician, he says he's going to be on there on Monday, rewires the whole house by Tuesday, right? Plumber, yeah. same thing. We replumps the whole house within 48 hours typically, right? Whereas my older, older plumber, which he, I don't, he doesn't listen to this stuff. He's still a friend, but like he'd he, <laughs> he take two to three weeks easily to do the same thing. And then like, oh, I got to come back because I got this other job and like this. And we're like, we got shit going on. <laughs> like come back, right? And then uh, it just doesn't matter, but it's, Paying that extra, um, it saved us so much more over the long run. Uh, and we wouldn't have known that if we weren't tracking it. Okay, so lots of data going into driving operations and operational efficiency, right? Like right. Uh, around the the contractors and, and that side. Um, 
So you mentioned some tools, right? Sounds like Asana is your primary communication right. kind of task management uh, tool, right? Yes. Uh, you're keeping all your photos in Dropbox. Yeah, all that. Uh, uh, do- so Dropbox, all files stored there. Yeah. Asana, all communication and task management. And then we use Smartsheet as well. Okay. So in Smartsheet's where we use, that's where we store all of our templated things like our scope of works, um, our accounting hard cost sheets that we track for every property because uh, not everybody needs access to my QuickBooks. So we track it all through um, Smartsheet instead, which is then connected into the scope of work. And then we also track our entire, all of our finished packets are built through Smartsheet as well, which is kind of another way we systemized our business is we, we can right now go into Smartsheet, open up that file. Every finish we've ever done that we like is organized in three different uh, templated finished packets. And we can go in there and just check a box on each one we want and then click print as a PDF and only the checked box ones come out and it has a signing part for the contractor to sign at the end of it. So the it's it's systemized big time. And for our folks who are listening and maybe haven't heard of Smartsheet, it's kind of like Excel or Google Sheets, except a little bit on steroids, right? Yeah. You can also kind of use it as a database. You can kind of use it in all these different uh, different ways. And it's yeah. it's it's pretty powerful little tool for sure. I, I want to be very clear. I say this to everybody because they're like, oh, I'll get Smartsheet. And like, you're going to buy it. You're going to open it. And you'll be like, this is just Excel. This sucks. Why did I spend so much money on this? And right. you have to build it or you have to pay for somebody else to build it. So it's, it's, and then when you I, get it right, it's freaking awesome. But have yeah. you guys thought about building and selling your uh, smart sheet uh, templates? Yes. Is that a business uh, templates for smart sheets? I have never looked it up, but I definitely have had it on our to-do list to look it up. <laughs> so Yeah. You know, because, you know, for websites, there's templates. For all these other things, there's templates. And I know a lot of folks use, what is it, a Podio template? Yeah, Podio, you can license out. Like, you can license Podio out. You can get it. Uh, you have to get Citrix part of it and a few other things. And then um, you can actually license out your Podio template. And I'm curious now if Smartsheet does that. There's a there's an opportunity there, I think. Yeah, they allow you to white label it in some way and then uh, sell the yeah, template. Yeah. Yeah. Do all yeah. of your contractors have to sort of plug into the technology that you're you're using? So do they use Asana? So there's two versions of the story. One was the <laughs> past, right? In the past, yes. Uh, and in the past, when we were doing higher volume in multiple states during the wild and wacky REO days, uh, between for us mainly 2011, 2014 was the, the most of our REO we ever did and leading into 2015. But the during that time period, we used a program called Builder Trend, mm-hmm. uh, and that's because our it doesn't matter why, but like the but basically we were we were part of another business that worked with Fannie Mae for construction purposes mm-hmm. that we used Builder Trend to track all the subs and contractors. So we just bled that over into our construction, and it was easy for contractors to use Builder Trend uh, at that point. But it's expensive now, unless you're doing high volume and you really are running the construction. Builder Trend's not worth it. Uh, so. That, but it was simple. It was simple for the subs to use. They knew how to use it. I am terrified in my neck of the woods. I know my contractors, they're all great guys. Some of them would be able to use our Asana very well. Some would absolutely mess it up. So we're like, let's just not include them in any of that stuff and just have some checks and balances that they have to uphold on their end that they have to turn in and they have to, they have to follow and more simplified version of what they need to do on their end. Uh, so that way we can track it on our side. Okay. Yeah. But I think it would work with a lot of the more business savvy um, contractors and not to make fun of Washington state contractors, but 
there you no, go. I, I think that's definitely <laughs> difficult because if they're yeah. doing other jobs, it's not just yours. So everybody right. has their own process and own program. So I was just curious. Yeah, if they, if they were doing, I mean, if they're just doing one job for us, then like that's just not wait. That's a waste of their time and they'll go somewhere else. But uh, if they, when we were doing the REO, like big time REO uh, stuff between 2011 and 2014, this, we'd have contractors that have 20, 30, 40 projects. Like they, we were their business, right? So right. therefore they would plug into our system. And here in the Seattle market, there's so much competition for construction and contractors and stuff that, uh, you know, if you're not, unless you can feed them 10 or 15 projects at a time, then they're not going to plug into your system because they don't need to. So, yeah. Hmm. Do the contractors typically like that you're so organized? Is that a tipping point for them to select you as somebody to work with? I like to think yes. And I'm pretty confident that's a yes. Uh, the, but it goes both ways and it's some contractors don't like that because they like to be the one in charge of the project and how to teach you how to do it and charge you what they want to charge you. And they don't like that. You know what it costs them per square foot to do X, Y, Z thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's, so there, so there's a lot of contractors that don't like that because they'd rather just tell you that it costs like $800 a square to replace a roof when you know it costs them, their cost is like 140 or whatever. So like, they don't like that. You know that sometimes. Um, but a lot of the contractors we work with love it because they just want to work, right? The typically our best contractors we found through data, right? Is also, um, they have, they have bags on, like they're able to work on themselves. They have a couple of people on their team, but they really don't like to market themselves. They don't have that business side to sit there and go put out their own marketing. And they would love to work with a company like ours that says, here's your stuff. Here's your scope. Here's your, here's your finish sheet. Here's, literally the entire project, you just follow ABC, you know, ABC, right? Here's your draw schedule. And here's your timeline for when to complete it, sign the contract, right? Sign all our stuff. You don't need to worry about any of that crap, right? And they go like, cool. And then they just go do it and they get another house afterwards and they don't have to market themselves, right? That's our favorite contractor and, that's, and we're their favorite clients. Uh, but that's not every contractor. So. That's so true, right? I mean, there's so many of these folks that got into the business because they loved doing that work. Yeah. And they don't love marketing. They don't love sales. They don't even know how to do it, right? And so that repeat business where they don't have to do that piece is pretty attractive. And you're, you're out of California. So like the California state contractor laws are very, very different than Washington state. So California, you kind of have to have a business and no business to have a contractor, like contractor's license, right? So, because yeah. it's a lot of work to get it. In Washington, it's 115 bucks, a background check and 30 minutes waiting in line with no testing whatsoever. Like, at all. You literally just fill out a form and wait, and then you walk out able to build somebody's house. So the, that's, that's our licensing up here. That's, that's why I definitely You're want not joking, to, not joking. So the, <laughs> if you want to get, I don't know how much you want to go down this rabbit hole, but labor and industries here is like a racket. I think they're like the mafia, but the, for <laughs> they straight up, they had a law like, so labor and industries here had like a, it's not a law. It's their regulation, whatever you want to call it. But if you flip houses, you had to have a general contractor's license in the state of Washington. And the, now they only recently changed a couple of years ago to where you can, okay, you can flip houses without a GC license, but you have to hire a GC and you can't sub anybody out unless you are a GC, right? And so now how do you become a GC? What did I tell you? Pay 115 bucks application fee. Now you have to have your, your license and your, so you have to have your insurance and your bond, right? So you're basically actually technically paying about $1,200 total for an annual insurance, your bond and your application fee. Uh, and then 30 minutes of your time in an L and I office and you walk out ready to build people subdivisions. And so I, I yeah. think in California, it's two years 
apprenticeship or uh, a college degree in, in a related, you know, field like construction management or something like, so that's not a big here. difference. <laughs> not here at all. <laughs> so, yeah. well, you mentioned something about you find your contractors using data. What did you mean by that? So for, well, backing up on it, I don't know if I said that exactly. Uh, the, but for, I said, it's, I don't know how I said data, but I said, I, I'm able to find out. Um, Tell who's good and who's not. Who's good and who's not. There you go. Like okay. on our, on our stuff from the data, uh, the, but not from sourcing them. Okay. So the, the sourcing of it just comes from, uh, you know, referrals, talking to other people, you know, that kind of stuff. And I guess that's data, right? <laughs> so yeah. referral points, but no, so on the other side, we do have every single bid we've ever received from anyone is stored uh, for the last, however long I've been in business. And that also allows us to take that data to start averaging out what the cost of things are. And that's something that we were pretty big on too. Cause I didn't, as a newer investor that had to get, learn how to do construction. I didn't know anything about what it should cost and per markets different, especially when you're in multiple markets. And so if somebody tells, if a, if a, if somebody tells me it costs 2000 bucks to replace the flooring, well, how do I know that it's, I'm getting a great deal or not a great deal, right? And then you do enough floors and you collect enough bids and you get enough contractors out there, you start to realize, okay, this, it is 2000 bucks for a great deal. Right. And, and I'm, I'm on track for that. So what's the average cost per square footage then uh, it would, they're charging me. Okay. They're charging me two bucks per square foot for this floor. And that's the average cost of this area for a you know decent contractor to do this for me. So let's put that in our scope of work. Uh, so we can know now going forward for future houses, that is two bucks a square foot for this type of flooring for these houses. And we could confidently, bet on that before we, we buy the house. So that's the type of data we definitely track with contractors all the time. We've talked a lot about contractors. Let's talk about, I want to talk both about, you know, how you've used data on the acquisition side in terms of maybe tracking your wholesalers. And then on the other side, on the sales um, uh, side too. And if you're using it, you know, where else you're using in the, in the process. So you, you've got, you're building these relationships primarily with wholesalers, bringing you deals, are you tracking how each wholesaler deals kind of perform or that kind of thing? Or is you're just, what are you doing to like validate the properties they're bringing you, figure out what to pay them, what a fair fee is, that kind of side? So that, I mean, it's, we don't, to, to answer directly on one side, we don't like track saying, okay, this wholesaler brought us eight deals and they've all performed this way. Like we haven't gone that far with the wholesalers because once for me, it's been like, if I agree to buy it and something goes wrong, it's not the wholesaler's fault. It's my fault. And so yeah. the, so that's why we don't really care like which wholesaler brought it to us because we have our own due diligence, our own stuff that we got to do. And once we buy it, then it's on us, right? At that point. So everybody um, bring you stuff. That's cool. Not going to worry about that side. No. And so how about the data problems. and looking at the properties before you, you know, before you did make that decision and how quickly are you able to do that? So it used to be slow and it got faster, but what we found is uh, if your buy box is really big, I think it takes longer. Um, the, but if you really narrow down your buy box to what you are going to focus on, it becomes a lot faster because you can say no to everything really fast. And so I've, I've felt that we used to have a bigger buy box, like which was uh, a pretty general term of 15% plus cash on cash in King Pierce uh, counties and Portland. Uh, and as long as I wasn't doing an addition or a pop top, then we would buy it. And that, so it just basically left it open to interpretation for everything else. And we use the term buy box a lot, but just for sorry. folks maybe who are turning in for the first time, right? Like my buying criteria, it, right? So you're buying criteria, right? 
And is it mostly around, you know, the the return on investment or is it also like square footage or location or number of stories or so price when range? We doing, when we're doing a big portion of our volume, right? It was typically just ROI, right? Return on investment. And we had a few other categories of geography. And we also had a few things of uh, mainly like we won't do anything that's going to require like a six month permitting process or something. So, so you're leaning towards like, so I wouldn't be able to do a pop top, which is, you know, take it up another story. Uh, and I wouldn't do anything that increased the footprint of the property. So by doing additions on the sides, because those took longer to get permits. But if something had an unfinished basement or unfinished attic space, that's not adding, that's not adding footprint and that's not doing a pop top. So therefore we would do it. So, but if it fit that single family, 15% plus cash on cash in those geographic areas and wasn't a pop top or additional square foot, or sorry, additional footprint that left it open for everything else. <laughs> so the, didn't matter what. And, but what that also did is it made us have to spend a lot more time. We didn't have any limit on remodel cost or uh, anything like that. So it made us spend a lot more time having to figure out, okay, well, can we handle this? Can we not? Like, what's the construction? Can we find everything detailed about it? Okay, this is a $300,000 project. Do we have time for that? Like this. So versus we changed all of that dramatically for us. And we also bought a lot of properties because that's a big, big buy box. Like we were able to buy a lot in those, in those numbers. Um, but it made it to where we weren't focused on any one thing or any one location. So we were able to just like go, which also meant we weren't specialized in any one place either. We'd have investors in the core areas of Seattle, um, which would be like, actually it doesn't matter if the core areas of Seattle, let's just say that. So uh, the, where they were, they would buy a house that I'd pass on um, because I'm like, well, I don't know if that would work out for us, but they'd buy it because they knew that, that those couple city blocks super, super well, right. They knew that data of that area. They knew a, uh, a Starbucks is getting, you know, built right next to it. Or they knew that a metropolitan market, which is a fancy place here, uh, is getting done down the street or that the zoning just changed recently and that it's worth more because of that. I didn't know that because we weren't tracking that specific neighborhood. We were tracking large geographic areas. So, so to answer your question in a really, really long way, um, back in the day, no. So we would just have that big, huge, broad brush strokes and buy, and it always worked out. Now we're more specific. And so now we're, now we want a more specific deal, uh, more, more specific rehab. We want multiple exit strategies. Uh, we're looking for more of an infill situation inside cities when we can, how can we develop two, three, four potential investment strategies out of this one deal? Um, how can we get more focused? And that part of that is because we don't want as much work and we just want to be higher margin, uh, less work versus back in the day it was lower margin, more work. <laughs> so, cause we would just do more deals, but. And part of how you got there was looking at all those past deals correct, and figuring out where the, where the best returns were with the least amount of work Yes, and then kind of focusing on that. So kind of data driven there. Very data driven. And cause if you want to add, so you, there's not just the data of what you get from these properties. It's also the data of what you're getting internally in your business. So even on your financial data, like what does your financial data look like? And in 2016, we did a lot of properties uh, for Seattle, right? If you do more than 10 in a year in Seattle, you're like top five, just so everybody's clear right. on that. But so in uh, in 2016, I think we did close to 40 in the area. Uh, 38, I think was the number in 2016, something like that. Um, and in 2017, we did roughly the same amount of numbers uh, here, but we did we did more 
bigger projects, bigger potential reward, higher margins, all this kind of stuff. Uh, but we also did, and we also subbed everything out with contractors and we brought everything in house. Uh, I had higher overhead. I hired more people. So at the end of the day, my business's revenue was a lot higher. I think it was almost like 40% higher than it was in 2016, right? Revenue wise. However, I personally made the same amount of money between the two years. And yeah, so and you and worked was, a lot harder for it. I worked a lot harder with a lot more stress, a lot more overhead and a lot more bullshit for like, <laughs> like for, <laughs> for managing some of this stuff. Uh, and, and, and a lot more, way more stress. And that was one of those triggers too. But I didn't have the, that financial data and I wasn't tracking it like thoroughly and tracking all our properties, what the, the average time completion, the average rehab cost, uh, the average holding cost, the, the, you know, how much effort, how many staff were involved in those projects, like all that kind of stuff, how many contractors we had going back and forth, um, everything going between comparing the two, then I might've thought, Oh, this is working out. Let's keep going. Right. But it wasn't, it wasn't at all. Right. And so that's, was another switch at the end of 2017 that gave us that, you know, desire and push to start changing things dramatically in our business. So we can actually have a better quality of life. How'd you have that realization? Did you le- read like the, you know, Tim Ferriss book or something or what led you to that epiphany that, that, you know, this was happening? So I, I'm, I'm a hardcore personal development guy, right? I read a lot of, I don't read real estate books at all. Um, all my books, if you, you know, see if I turn my bookshelf, like, which is facing, I'm looking at it right now. Uh, <laughs> the, it's all leadership, personal development and uh, some more fun books, but most of it's leadership and personal development. So, but Tim Ferriss's four hour work week is definitely, you know, there's three books that I recommend to people for my system, which is four hour work week. It's a checklist manifesto by Atul Gawande. And then also uh, the one thing by Gary Keller, Gary Keller. So those are three books that like, I'm like, you put those three together. That's what I do. That's what we focus on. Uh, but the, but the realization click was towards the end of 2017 um, we were doing, we did a ton of projects. We had a bunch of delays. We had a lot of stress. We had a lot of internal costs. We were paying for literally like nails for a contractor. When in 2015, I got super pissed off because we bought light bulbs one time and the, I'm like, why are we buying light bulbs? Like that is dumb. And the, cause we wouldn't even touch any materials whatsoever that all of a sudden fast forward two years later, we're literally has a contractor at home Depot calling my project manager to buy nails. Right. I'm like, how did it get to this? Right. And the, so it's, so we had all that stress going on. We had way more costs, way more, we had accountants, we had all this, I mean, sorry, bookkeepers, we had multiple project managers, we had a bunch of acquisition stuff going on and it's, we weren't making enough money. Right. And I had a, oh, that's right. I remember now I had, I was finally going to start keeping some of these as rentals. And one of them, right. Was a super cool property in Tacoma that was ready to also either be rented out or sold we had so much overhead going on and so much money out from all these construction projects that we would make about 78 grand or 80 grand if we sold this single family flip. Right. And, but I wanted to keep it as a rental cause it would have cash flowed like six, 700 bucks a month. But at that exact moment, I'm like, we need to sell this house so we can keep feeding the machine of our operations just from a timing of a cash crunch at this point, like for this like little right. 45 day window of time. Right. And I was so pissed that we had to sell that property in order to keep the machine moving on top of my project manager, I found out at that time was stealing from us and embezzling. He was getting bids from a contractor for two and putting it in for twenty eight hundred or whatever, and then keeping the difference and things like that started happening. Uh, the so common in this business. I don't know a single investor that's been around for a while that doesn't have that story. Yeah, and and it's you also lead towards my wife and I weren't spending enough time together. Right, we really wanted to be together. She worked at W two. We we weren't working together at the time. Um, I had my business. She had hers. 
And the, and it, it was like, there was a bunch of other stuff, but then it led to a buddy of mine, Thatch, uh, Nguyen, who's awesome, awesome dude up here. He said, he had a realization in his business about a decade ago, where he's just like, most people design their business and they build their entire life around their business. And whatever time they have left, they put, they revolve it around that, right? For their lifestyle. He's like, why don't you just design the lifestyle you want, like and how you want to live your life with you and your family, and then make your business molded to fit that, right? And at that exact, he said it at the right timing, right situation, right circumstances. And I'm like, why the hell are we doing that? That sounds so easy. <laughs> like the, and it was just like, what? And so I rush home, talk to my wife. I'm like, this weekend, we're going to put your paper out and we're going to draw out what we really want in our life to be like. And we just started saying, okay, well, we want to make our money this way. We want to run our business that way. We want to contribute this much to charity. We want to, and we just started doing it. And what do we not want to do? And we started cutting out saying, I don't want to do these type of projects anymore. I don't want to be in these geographic locations. I don't want this type of overhead. I don't want this kind of staff. I personally don't want to do these things in my business at all. So I started doing the, the not to list, like the not list. And we also part of that data, because we found out these type of projects suck, right? So for us, because our systems didn't work for them. So let's go back to what we're good at. And we started mapping that all out, spent a few weeks doing that. My wife quit her job, came, you know, basically to work with us. And the, and we've been together every single day since then. And it's what we'd love to do. Uh, And it's, and our whole business changed like dramatically, but it came to that switch of a lot of things going wrong to lead to something right. Your t-shirt's a little cut off, but that seems like a, yeah, there you go. Right. Like <laughs> discipline equals freedom. freedom. Jocko love it. Yeah. I love it. I we're cl- getting close on um, time and uh, I did want to talk about uh, the sell side too, but maybe we'll do that next time. Um, you do, you, you give back a lot. You do a lot of speaking. Um, you also put on an event uh, in the Seattle area. That's getting pretty big and, um, maybe tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So now it's worldwide. <laughs> so yeah. It's right. Virtual. virtual. The, yeah, every in 2017, 2016, December, 2016, uh, we decided to do our first meetup. Right. And I was like, we should just go meet more people. Uh, I hate, I, by the way, I, we never talked about this, but I hate real estate. I don't like real estate that much. Uh, the, <laughs> I, and I had a business coach tell me years ago, the reason why I'm good at real estate is because I don't like real estate. So I figure out systems and processes so I don't have to do it. Right. So that's, that made a lot of sense to me at the time. Cause I've only done real estate for money. I've never done it for any other reason. That's it. And the, so now it's like, so anyways, back, but I love helping people figure stuff out. I love networking. I love meeting people. And so I'm like, let's do a meetup so we can meet more people. And so we did that December, 2016. Uh, we had 110 people show up at with two weeks notice. And I'm like, I guess people want to do a meetup, right? And then the next one, we had 220 people show up in January. Uh, and then it just kept going and going and going. And then we were like, why don't we do an event in Seattle? Uh, nobody runs a conference in Seattle for real estate investors ever. You always have to fly to Arizona or somewhere in California or on the East Coast. And so let's do one, right? And we called it the, the PNW Big Badass Real Estate Wealth Expo. And the <laughs> so our first one was 2017. We had 510 people there. Our second one was 2018 with six, almost 700 people there. Uh, and the, and then our last one, 2019, uh, we had a thousand people at that one. Um, we raised between the entire events, we've raised $350,000 for charity so far. Uh, and for specifically Travis Mills foundation this year, we were on track for about 1500 people based off of, cause it's becoming, it's now the largest and most successful real estate conference on the West coast. Uh, and the, for real estate investors specifically, uh, and the, 
And so we had all this great stuff going on. It's like massive networking events, like parties, like 70 sponsor exhibitor booths, like full on exhibitor thing. Then this whole, you know, you know, cold shows up and makes it to where we lock down the, the U S right. And we can't do the in-person event anymore. So it's now switched over to virtual only. Uh, we weren't going to do it unless we can facilitate networking. So networking is the main reason why people do go to conferences from my experience and virtual events kind of suck because you're just doing a webinar for the most part. So we solved that with some software and so we paid a lot of money for it uh, to where now any attendee that joins this can network just like we're doing right now on Zoom. They can set up their own community boards, their own networking sessions. They can have as many people as they want a part of it. Uh, same thing with exhibitors. So we are able to do these at least face to face. You could FaceTime by a click of button, any attendee that wants to with you, right? You can't just like blast people. Uh, and <laughs> it's, it's all designed. So people kind of have these facilitated networkings that we're going to help out with plus 40 plus speakers, bigger pockets is a part of it. Now they're an affiliate with it. Uh, so we expect somewhere between 3000 to 5,000 people, uh, coming up September 18th and 19th, uh, most of it us, right. Not to, not Seattle because it's pretty wide berth now. Uh, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So that's September 18, 19. You can go to virtualwealthexpo.com uh, or you can go to pnwrealestateexpo.com. It takes you to the same place. Okay. And wholesalers in the Seattle uh, area that want to sell you a deal, the fixatedrealestate.com? Uh, fixatedonrealestate.com. The, that's our networking meetup group and stuff like that. But you can also just go to my Instagram at Tarl, uh, at Tarl Yarber. I'm the only one there uh, with that name. Or find me on Bigger Pockets. <laughs> right? Send me an email there too. And you'll get a hold of me sooner or later. It's great to have a unique name. Uh, you see that in public records a lot, right? Like uh, a unique name is pretty easy to find, and uh, yeah, non-unique. It's good, it's good and bad, actually. So yeah, for sure, for yeah, sure. It makes it easy how to find you. <laughs> yeah, I can never do anything wrong. That's for sure. So yeah, just find me. But all right, Tarwell. Aaron, any other questions for you? One other one, just because it's marketing related. When you decided to hone in your buy box, did your wholesalers follow suit and change their marketing box as one of the biggest people that they would flip their houses to? Some. Some did because some already had like large businesses, so they didn't care. Uh, they just would adjust. They're like, okay, cool. Tarl's in this buy box now, so we just send him these type of deals, right? And, and then other ones, the ones that were like feeding us the most, they started trying to adjust for that as much as possible. Um, but in reality, in our neck of the woods, in our market, there's so many people that will just buy the property and that if we don't have those relationships, then we won't get the deal um, because the because they can just email it out to a bunch of other people like me that will just buy it. Right. So the so we don't back in the day, I was more spoiled. Right. Nowadays, I can't be as spoiled. We have to continue to foster those relationships and build people up. Um, and newer investors, newer wholesalers tend to like us a lot because we can show them, um, when they send us a bad deal, we'll show them, tell them why, right. So they can get better at it. Uh, and, and so forth, but it also typically they know if they're going to send it to us, we are going to close. Um, if we'd say we're going to close and they don't have to worry about that portion of it, but you know, there's a lot of competition out these days and that's okay. So. Indeed. Nope. That's all I've got. I really appreciate your time. I appreciate yeah. your time. Yeah, thanks for uh, joining us here. And uh, everybody else, keep uh, tuning in to the Data Driven Real Estate Podcast. Uh, appreciate you uh, listening in. And good luck with your event, Tarl. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to the Data-Driven Real Estate Podcast. You can find show notes and links to some of the resources mentioned in the show at datadrivenrealestate.com. Click that, join the community, and you'll be forwarded to the Property Radar community where you can ask questions about the current show and even see upcoming guests and ask questions there. We'd love to engage with you in the community, so check it out. Please don't forget to like, favorite, subscribe, and share on your favorite platform where you're listening to the show. It helps us out a great deal. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.